2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 12 through 15, on page 968. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. The word of the Lord. Morning. Um, so my name is Dan, and I'm on the leadership team here at, at Trailhead Church. Uh, Pastor Steve is actually out of town uh, this weekend, um, but he'll be he'll be back with us uh, next week. Um, first of all, I want to say uh, welcome to our visitors. If this is your your first time here with us this morning, um, we'll say we're glad we're glad you're here. Also, I want to let you know that there are some um, gifts for you out at the connection point, just outside the door there, and to your left, uh, we have some bags with some some Trailhead swag, so to speak that uh, we would love for you guys to, guys to take. Um, so if, if this is your first time with us this morning, um, probably looking at that slide thinking, what is going on? What are we talking about with, uh, with Get Greedy? Um, it was actually kind of funny, last service, um, we actually had that come up during the, the offering as we were presenting the offering. So people are probably wonder what is going on. <laughs> but um, So where we're going this morning is we're in, we're in week two of a series, a five-week series we're doing on, on giving, on generosity. And the focus and the reason we have this tongue-in-cheek title is we're talking about what does it look like for us to be, to be greedy about the right things, the right things being um, joy in God, the right things being love, peace, being on mission um, with God, being greedy for those things and being freed from being greedy from the wrong things being greedy for, for possessions, being greedy for, for more money. Um, so that's where we're going. And you may be asking, okay, why, why are we going there? Why are we, why are we talking about money? Um, well, there are two big reasons why we're, why we're doing that right now. Um, the first is that we're really at a, um, a cool point in the life of our church, uh, an exciting time, also one that, that's presenting some challenges. Um, so we're actually looking for uh, a space, um, a building to call to call our own, to call home. Um, so this space has been has been awesome for us. Um, we're this, but this is temporary. We're uh, tenants here, and our landlord has been extremely generous. Um, but in the time we've been here, it's always been clear with our with our lease that because um, we're getting a significant discount, um, our landlord is giving that to us. But it's in our contract that in our lease that if a business approaches and wants to rent the space for full price, um, then we'll need to move. And it's looking like that is, is likely to happen. There is a business that's interested in our space. And so we're trying to, to navigate that and figure out what that's going to look like. And we'll definitely keep you posted on details as that um, moves forward. Um, but we're also looking at like, okay, is, is there a place here in town that we can um, look to actually purchase and and to have a, a base center, so to speak. Because we know that the church isn't a building. The church is, is us as a people. Um, but to have a headquarters and a place where we can do um, events, where we can invite people in to worship with us, we're really looking for it. And we're at that place in the life of our church. Um, so that's, that's one piece of what this is about. Um, and I want to let you know there's, there's lots of information on our website. If you go to trailheadonline.org, um, you'll see an image 
come up there on the website. You can click on that, and I'll take you to another page with, with lots more info. There's a form. You can enter your, your contact information, and you'll get updates. Um, we also have, there's a little booklet that you can get at Connection Point that has some more detail um, about this. And so we'd love to invite you to join us um, as we move forward in that stage of the life of our church. The second reason why we're talking about money, and honestly a, a bigger reason, is that Jesus talked about money. We want to be faithful to Scripture. We want to be faithful to Jesus' teaching and continue to communicate that. And Jesus talked a lot about money, honestly. He talked more about money than he did about heaven and about hell. It was a common topic of his teaching. So why? Why, why is that? Why did he spend time on that? Well, we believe part of that is because, not because money is the most important thing, but because money is an indicator to what the love of our heart is, what we find treasure in, what we put our faith in, that we can take a look at our, at our bank account and our expenditures and see, okay, what is it that we love? What is it that we love? And a lot of times our, our bank statements will tell us that. And so it's an issue of the heart. It's an issue of the heart, and that's what Jesus tackles when he teaches on money and about giving. And honestly, as I was approaching this message, um, you know, I'm, a, I'm actually going to school right now, going to seminary to get a degree in, in counseling. And uh, so I love talking about like heart issues. I love talking about um, you know, grace and about you know, the depravity of our own hearts and how God gives us grace in the midst of that. But then I was like, man, I got to talk about money this week. Um, but God convicted me of some stuff in that and realizing money, money, talking about money, it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. And so that's where we're going uh, this morning. Um, Because to put it simply, how we relate to money is really a gospel issue. What we put our faith in, what we put our trust in. And um, we can use money as a means of of worship. So last week, Pastor Steve uh, walked us through 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Um, He walked us through verses 1 through 5. And in this passage, we learned about the church in, in ancient Macedonia. Um, so these were, were uh, early Christians in the, in the Middle Eastern area in Macedonia. So let's go ahead and read. Um, we're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2. So this is talking about the Macedonians. It says, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So the Macedonians... The, the believers there, they became believers um, in essentially a hostile environment, an environment that wasn't very friendly to, to Christians. They were persecuted. And part of that was that um, they were seeing financially just difficult times. Um, so it says they were in the midst of, of affliction and poverty. Affliction and poverty. But you see here, a piece of this is it says their abundance of joy. And so if you if you kind of lay this out, so their affliction and their poverty and their abundance of joy led to them being generous, led to them being generous. And it was because they realized the gift of God that they had received. It was because they were realizing what were the most important things in life. They were realizing what it is that God has done for them and how proclaiming and carrying forward that message is the thing that's most important. So the Macedonian, the people in the Macedonian churches, they had the option of choosing money or choosing joy, and they chose, they chose joy. 
so what does this mean for, for us this morning? Um, because in all honesty, um, we're not exactly the Macedonians. Um, we're not exactly under heavy persecution here in the U.S., and we're in a far different place uh, in general um, as a people here in, in America. Um, so in order to put this in perspective, um, we need to take a look at what things are like around the, the world, basically, um, not just looking at, at America and the people around us. Um, so I did a little bit of research, and just to give us some perspective, um, think about this, that one of the stats I found was that 50% of the people around the world, 50% of the world's population lives on less than $2.50 a day. Two fifty. So that means if you went to Starbucks this morning, and I love, I love Starbucks coffee, if you went to Starbucks coffee this morning and got a pumpkin spice latte, in just that one drink, you've spent more than most people have or are able to spend for their entire day, for everything, for the entire day. 80% of the world's population lives on less than $10 a day. Less than $10. So that's $3,650 a year. A year. That's what they have to work with. 80% of the population. So I also did some research about, okay, what's the, what are the circumstances for us here in, in Edwardsville? Um, so I went to, uh, to Wikipedia, and uh, Wikipedia said that the per capita income for Edwardsville is $26,510 compared to $3,650, okay? Um, and I also found this nifty little, little website that I just happened to, to stumble across as I was doing some, some searching. Um, so the website is called globalrichlist.com. And it was cool because it has this little form. It's just a simple, simple website, and you, you can enter your information in on this, this form, um, entering in how much, uh, what your income is, or you can do another, another form where you can just enter your assets and whatnot, your bank account, if, um, just the values, no personal data, of course, um, <laughs> fortunately. So um, anyway, you can enter in that information, and it will then compare you to the rest of the, of the world. And so I did that based upon that 26,000 number, the per capita number for Edwardsville. And uh, this, is what, uh, this is what came out. So we'll take a look at this. So it said the, the average Edwardsvillian is in the top 1.7% comparing in wealth around the globe. So basically the top 2%. So if you were to line up with 100 people, from around the globe, you would most likely be one of the top two wealthiest people in that group. So you would have more money, and that's just if you were making the base, that average for, for Edwardsville, you would be wealthier than 98 other people in that group of, of 100. Um, so that's a pretty, oh, to me, that was a pretty uh, alarming, significant stat to look at. Um, and there's some other information if you want to go look at that site that helps put it in perspective as well. But my point is, is that we need to get some perspective on this and, and what we have and what we have here in America because we can fall prone to comparing ourselves to the people around us. We can compare ourselves to what, you know, what our neighbor makes. Um, we can look around us and see what people have and maybe we don't. Um, but in reality, we have so much more than so many people around the globe, and it helps us to put things in perspective. So how do we, how do we better gauge this um, as we look at, at how well off we are and then we look at, at what it means to sacrifice? 
How do we gauge that? Um, so we want to share with you a video this morning. This is from uh, Pastor Scott Rideout, who is a pastor in our Converge Church Planning Network. So he's out, uh, he's a pastor um, in Arizona. And uh, so we're just going to take a, a few minutes here to watch a video as he presents and gives us some perspective on, on this concept. Talk about money. Uh, how, are we, how are we doing with our money? Show me your checkbook, and I'll tell you what you love. Open your garage door, and I'll tell you what you love. Let me walk into your walk-in closet, and I'll tell you what you love. You say, okay, that, that's kind of personal. Why don't you just back off a little bit on that? All right, I'll, I'll back up. Let, let me just generalize. Let me just talk about America. What does what America uh, love. In fact, let me go back to 2005. The reason I want to go back to 2005 is it was the most generous year in the history of America. A couple things happened that year that really kind of opened our eyes. First was Hurricane Katrina. You guys remember that? And we opened our eyes. Our, our brothers and sisters in Louisiana and other places, they were, they were hurting. They lost their homes. They lost everything. We began to look at ourselves saying, wait, wait, I can help. I, I can do something about that. And then we had uh, the tsunami that happened that same year. We had the earthquake in Pakistan that happened that same year. And so our eyes all of a sudden opened up to the, to the country and opened up to the world. And we said, wait, wait, we need to do something. We felt compelled to do something as individuals, didn't we? We, we sent teams from Sun Valley and others did. You know, we, we did stuff. We did stuff on that. And so here's what I want you to know. In that year, it's amazing. In that year, Americans gave 7.4 billion dollars to disaster relief. 7.4 billion. It was twice the amount of any other year in American history. Incredibly generous compared to everything else that we'd ever done. What's really cool is that trickled out into world missions too. Because that same year in world missions, Americans gave $5.3 billion to missions. Not only did we help the poor and the hurting, we, we, we took the gospel to the whole creation. We, we did what Jesus told us to do, to go in all creation and preach the gospel and share Christ and make disciples. We did that like never before, $4.3 billion to world missions. That same year, that same year, we gave an additional $83 billion to American churches. The church reaped in the, the, the generosity of the people. What hit them and said, okay, we need to start looking out instead of just looking inside. And $83 billion, the highest amount of money ever given to American churches happened in 2005. That's $95 billion. And, and more was given to education, by the way. And more was given to other charities, by the way. It was, I mean, it was just incredible, incredible numbers. But here's the ones we're talking about today. That is amazing. That is incredibly generous. But really, to understand that, you have to, to look at the context of the whole year, 2005. So I, I thought, well, let me see what we spent on other things in 2005 as Americans. And so, um, and I was kind of surprised, shocked, because, I mean, $7.4 billion to disaster relief was an amazing number. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, that's, that's a lot of money. But then I found out that that exact same year, Americans spent $30 billion on pizza. Disaster relief didn't even get a slice, pardon the pun, of what Americans could give. In the same year, we gave $5.3 billion to reach the world for Christ. We spent $9.4 billion on movie tickets, which tells me we'd rather be entertained than make an impact. $83 billion, I mean, 
What's going to rival that? I mean, whatever it is must be really important, right? We spent $94 billion on soda and chips. $72 billion on soda, $22 billion on chips. Potato, tortilla, corn and pretzel. You know, when you put it that way, I, I think I know what America is all about. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. What does this say about what we treasure? So as Pastor Scott unpacked that, it gives us some perspective into the fact that, that Americans are um, general, generous. We do, we do give. But our giving isn't necessarily sacrificial. We're generous, but not necessarily sacrificial. You see, when you, when you have much, it's tempting to, to love what it is that you, that you have. It's tempting to love what you have, and however much you give from that feels like a sacrifice. That when we come to the table as owners rather than stewards of our finances, um, every act feels like a sacrifice. And so the invitation is to, what does it look like for to us to experience the joy, the joy of sacrificial giving? So that's where we're going this morning. We're going to take a look at what, it, what does it mean for us to sacrifice? Um, and what are the principles that we can find in our, in our passage this morning? So we're going to take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 12. This is Paul writing to the church at, at Corinth, and he's, he's speaking of um, the Macedonians. He says, For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Reading on in verse 13, says, For do I, not, I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. Okay, so what is, what is it that the Apostle Paul is talking about uh, in this letter? So the background here, the background that we have for this, is that, that Paul is essentially writing to the churches. He's, he's going to the churches, and he's asking, he's asking for money. He's asking for donations in order to support the church in Jerusalem. Okay, the Christians in Jerusalem were in a place where they were, they were lacking some of their basic necessities. They had, they had a, a need. So Paul goes and he asks the other churches to, to help the church at Jerusalem continue their mission of carrying forward the gospel, to help to meet, to meet their needs. Okay? Here, Paul is using the Macedonians as an example and setting some expectations for what it looks like for giving. So how much is it that he says the Corinthians should give? Paul here says, give based on what you have. Based on what you have. This means that the expectation is not that we give beyond our means, 
but that it is acceptable and pleasing to God for us to give within our means. Okay? God expects, expects us to be generous according to what we have, not according to what we don't have. So Paul, he didn't pressure. He didn't pressure the people to give what they couldn't afford to give. He asked them to respond voluntarily and to not be coerced, but to respond with joy like the Macedonians did. You see, what Paul is, what Paul is doing here is he's inviting, he's inviting all believers, regardless of their level of wealth, to participate in generosity, both the rich and the poor alike. He calls all Christians to enter into joyful and sacrificial generosity. So the question is, how, how do our gifts impact the effort? Because we see the Macedonians, they gave out of their, out of their poverty. Scripture says they didn't have a lot to give. They gave out of their poverty. They were making sacrifices. It doesn't mean that their gift was the largest. Paul is using them as an example in showing the condition of their, of their heart, that they made a gift that would have a lasting impact even though they were poor. And see, the key here, the key here is that God was recognizing their sacrifice. God was recognizing what it was they were willing to give. And so is there anywhere else in Scripture that we see this principle principle playing out of God recognizing sacrifice and not amounts or quantity? So let's take a look this morning at another passage of Scripture. This is from Mark's Gospel. This is Mark chapter 12. So this is Jesus talking with his, his disciples. It says, And he sat down opposite the treasury, and watch the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. In verse 43, it says, And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who were contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had all she had to live on. See, in this passage, we, we see Jesus taking notice. He takes notice of the poor widow's offering. I mean, how cool is that, that here this widow comes? In the midst of all of these people that are coming and dropping off their, their large sums of money, and up walks this, this humble widow, and she puts in her two small coins. She comes with humility and with little to offer, and Jesus gives her honor. Jesus himself gives her honor. He points her out to his ex- disciples, the ones who would continue to carry forward his mission, the ones who would establish his church. Jesus says, I want you to see her. I want you to see her and what she's doing. He says, you see that? He says, that matters. He says, that matters. That's significant. I love that Jesus does that here. I love that. Because it's not about the size of the gift. It's not about how much we're able to give. It's how much are we willing to sacrifice based on what God has given us. What is the heart that's behind it? So in our passage in 2 Corinthians, Paul is highlighting the similar response by the Macedonians, that they gave out of what little it was that that they had. And their gift was not only significant on a heart level, but there's also another something working here is that they joined together. They, they pooled their resources. 
And out of what little they had, they joined together and were able to, to give. And they were able to give on a significant financial level. And so while the individual contributions may have been small, the overall um, contribution wasn't small. So some of you may be, may be thinking this morning is we're, we're inviting you to participate with us as we look to continue to carry forward the mission by acquiring our own space. And you're wondering, you know, I don't know that I have a whole lot of margin to give. Maybe you're a college student. Maybe things are tight right now. And you're wondering, okay, how is this, this going to work? And I want you to, to just take a moment to, to see that your contribution matters. Whatever that contribution is, it matters. It matters. It could give some insight into the condition of our hearts. Because I, I want you to think about this. We have a lot of college students um, that come and worship with us, and we're, we're so grateful if you're a college student. We're, we're stoked that you're here. We're glad you're here. Um, and we know that you know, the budget probably isn't huge um, if you're a college student. Okay. We, we estimate that we have roughly about 60 college students that, that join us on Sundays. And uh, if you think, if each one committed to $5 a month, $5 a month, so that's maybe skipping your, your Starbucks for once for the month, Five bucks a month, if there are 60 of you, and the, the campaign that we're running in order to acquire a building is three years. So $5 times 36 months times 60 students. That's almost $11,000. $11,000 simply by contributing $5, $5 a month. And again, I want to I stress this. I want to stress it's not about the size of the gift. It's about the condition of your heart. So what is it that God might be leading you to? So we give out of what we have. We give not in comparison to others and what others have. We give in comparison to what we have, what we have. And the thing that enables us to do this is recognizing the gift that God has given to us, that God spared nothing in coming and sending his son and Jesus giving his entire life for us and dying for us. Um, so some of you, God has given much. Some, maybe it's, it's, it's little. So the question is, is how are you being a steward with what it is that God has given you? So in verse 15, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is going to take a minute to address both audiences. Okay? So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 15, he says, As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Okay, so what is it? that Paul is talking about here. What is this as it is written that he's mentioning? Um, Paul is actually referencing a story in the Old Testament. Um, and this is the story of, of the Exodus. And so this is Moses and the Israelites and, and Pharaoh and Egypt and the Israelites coming out of Egypt and God delivering them from, from their slavery. And after they had come out of Egypt, after they had crossed the Red Sea, uh, the Israelites then moved into the wilderness. Okay? And wilderness in in the Middle East is not, not good, right? Okay, so wilderness over there is, is desert. Okay, so not much food, not much water, um, and there were a lot of people. There were a lot of people that were with them. Okay, so this is the story that, that Paul is referencing. And I want to encourage you, um, if you get a chance, to, uh, to go back and read this story. It's an awesome story of God's redemption, of God's faithfulness and, and generosity um, to his people. So the Israelites are there in the wilderness, and what happens is, is that they're out of food, um, they have a need, and they're having trouble figuring out how to meet that need. 
And what ends up happening is they actually start grumbling. They start complaining. They start saying, you know, basically they start accusing God of wrongdoing. Say, God, you have brought us out here to die. For us to die here in the wilderness. After all of these things that God has done for them, I mean, they crossed the Red Sea, for example. God delivered them from slavery, from the Egyptians. And they're like, yep, God brought us out here to die. This is, this is where it's going to end. All of that was just so we could die out here in the desert. Um, but God hears that. God hears that. And God in his faithfulness, even though they were grumbling, even though they were complaining, God in his faithfulness provides for them. And he provides um, what they called, what was essentially the bread of heaven is what it was called, or manna was the name that they, they gave it. And we don't actually know what manna is. In fact, they didn't know what it was either because manna actually means what is it. That was the name. You know, what is it that God's given us? I don't know. What is it? Um, that was the name that, that they gave it. Okay, But God provided for them. And they were to go out each morning and collect the manna. And that God promised that every morning there would be fresh manna for them, that they would go and collect it and everyone would be taken care of, that there were some that would collect a lot and there would be some that would collect, only be able to collect a little. But they would pull it all together and each person had enough. And God commanded them in that. He says, but don't take more than what you need and don't try to keep it overnight. Because I want you to, one, obey, and I want you to trust that I'm going to provide for you. He said, the next morning, there's going to be more out there, and I want you to trust that I will do that for you. The Israelites, of course, being sinful, much like I know I am, and it's difficult to trust God sometimes, the Israelites didn't. They didn't obey. They didn't trust that God would provide. And so what they do? They kept it overnight. And it says they awoke, and the next day it was filled with with maggots and worms and just all kinds of grossness. I mean, that just sounds awesome. Wouldn't you like to wake up to that for breakfast? Um, but anyway, it shows that there was a principle there. That God says, I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me that I will provide. So the principle Paul is getting at is that God made sure that each person had enough. So in this story, God was providing. In the story of Exodus, he was providing for his people, but he was also testing his people. So I want to reveal where your hearts are at. I want you to see whether or not you will, you will trust me, whether or not you believe that I am good, and whether or not I am faithful. And the Israelites didn't believe that God was good or faithful. See, it was a, it was a faith issue. Our giving, our trust in God reveals a faith issue. It reveals where our hearts are at. Do we trust in him, or do we trust in our bank account and in our finances? So I wanted to share a story with you this morning that as I was preparing that God reminded me of. Um, see, I'm actually a student right now at, at Covenant Seminary out in West County. I'm going for a degree in, in counseling, um, as I think I mentioned earlier. Um, but that was part of a decision of, of leaving a, a job in corporate America. So I had, had worked for a company, um, a fairly large company, um, for 11 years. So straight out of college, I started at this company. Um, had a great job, no complaints about the, the company. I mean, it wasn't the best job, but it was, it was good. They took care of me. Um, I, there were definitely pieces I enjoyed about it, and I had a sense of security in that job. But then God began to reveal some things to me and some things that he had uh, for me, and he was calling me to do, and that thing was, was to pursue counseling. Um, I was able to do some volunteer work with the Karis House at, at the Journey, 
um, and get some experience with counseling. And I realized God was showing me. He's like, you know what, I've, uh, this is part of how I've wired you, and I want you to do this. I want you to do it full time. And so I thought, okay, okay, God, I can, I can do that. Um, but then there was this piece of I was leaving this financial security that I had at the company that I was working for, and I was stepping out and taking some risks. Um, but the thing was is that on paper, it all worked out. So if I did the numbers on paper, um, so that's when I, when I quit, I was, uh, was planning to come on staff here at, at Trailhead, which I've, which I've done, obviously. Um, and everything, everything worked out. I would be able to go to school full-time, work here part-time. But I still had this sense of anxiety. Like, what if, what if X happens? What if, you know, whatever, think of whatever nature accident that would happen to my home. Or think of, you know, a medical issue, or if I needed this or that. There was that sense of anxiety. That what, what happens then? I got my monthly expenses down. I'll, I'll make it. Um, it's not the same that it was when I was, was working in corporate America, but I'll be taken care of. And I was sitting down with a, a coworker who was also a believer, and uh, I was just kind of unpacking some of this and, and sharing with him what was on my heart. And uh, I, I said, you know, I'm just kind of worried about the finances. I'm just kind of worried about the financial piece. And as soon as those words left my mouth, I felt like God just spoke to my heart in that. So it was a, it was a thought that, that came to my head. Um, and I sensed that it was God speaking to me. And in a stern but loving voice, he said, you should be more concerned about disobeying me and what I'm calling you to do. And in that moment, I thought, oh, okay, God. <laughs> okay, God. I mean, it was clear. And I'm not trying to dig into this morning, you know, how do we hear, you know, God's voice. Um, part of, as I filtered that, as I processed that, the question was, okay, does this line up with Scripture? Yes, it did. I should be concerned about being obedient to what I felt like God was telling me. And God had been leading me up to this point. There were several other signs that led me to this. And so when I had that thought, I thought, yeah, I think this is true. And I said that to my coworker, and he just looked at me. He's like, yep, I think that's true too. <laughs> so I was like, okay, God. And so here I am. Last year, I quit my job. I came to work here and, and went to school. And God has met me in that in some incredible ways. He's provided for me, and I've gotten joy as a result of being obedient and being willing to sacrifice for the sake of mission, for the sake of being obedient to God. God was calling me to trust, and I was glad that I did. So where do we go from here? Um, what's the takeaway for today? Um, I said part of the point of this is, is equal sacrifice, not equal giving. Okay, equal sacrifice, not equal giving. That we give, the reason we give, is an act of worship. Because we recognize what it is that Jesus has given to us. We recognize the grace, what he was willing to sacrifice, his life for us. Recognize that all good things come from him, that what we have is a gift from him. It is not ours. We're not owners. We are stewards. And that enables us to give. The Macedonians, they got this. The Macedonians got this. They understood the grace of God, and it led them to respond in joyful sacrifice. Because you see, as, as believers, we know how the story ends. We know the end of the story. We know that life isn't just about the here and now. We know that it's about God's kingdom that there's eternity, and that the decisions we make, the things we do, have eternal significance. That God has invited us into eternal relationship with Him. He has guaranteed it for us when we put our faith and our trust in Him. And that should be the most important thing in life, the thing that drives us. 
we're called to share in the message of the gospel, the message that Jesus Christ died for us. There's nothing we can do to work or to earn God's favor, but he gives it to us, and it's a free gift. We simply put our faith in Christ. When we do that, we get restored relationship with the Father, we get eternal life. So our mission statement here at Trailhead Church, our mission statement is this, is walking in Christ is a community on mission. So walking in Christ, it's restored relationship with God. As a community, together, we join together as a body. We are united in Christ on mission. That means we're carrying forward that message of the gospel, which has eternal significance. So there's a quote, there's a quote this morning in your bulletin um, from a guy by the name of Jim Elliott. It says this, it says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. See, the point here, the point of that quote is that, um, that when we die, we can't take our money and our possessions with us. We can't take those things with us. You've probably heard the, the cheesy quote, the, the cheesy line that there are no U-Hauls behind hearses. Okay? The, the stuff that we have, we don't get to take, us, take it with us into eternity. Um, we can't keep those things. What we can keep is our promise for eternal life, the promise that God has given us, and we can invite people into that. That's what matters. That's what matters, is that we're here to build God's kingdom, not our own. So there's a, a movie um, that I wanted to, to share with you this morning, a movie that I think captures this pretty well and helps us put it in perspective of, of our mission and the call that we have. Um, so the movie is from the 90s. The movie's called Schindler's List. Um, it's a movie about the heroic efforts of a, a German industrialist named Oskar Schindler. See, Oskar Schindler, this is a, a photo from the, a screenshot from the movie. It's Liam Neeson playing the, the role of Oskar Schindler. Through his efforts, he was able to save thousands of Jews from the prison camps, and essentially from death. Over a thousand Jews he, he saved. Because what happened is he, he was actually a member of the Nazi party. He was associated with the Nazis. But he saw what was happening to the Jews. He saw what was happening. He saw how they were being brutalized, their dignity taken from them, how they were being killed. And he said, you know what? I'm going to do something about that. I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to do whatever I can in order to stop that or to make a difference. I'm going to make a difference. And what he figured out is that for money with money, with bribes, that he could actually purchase the Jews. He could actually purchase Jews from these prison camps and from the Nazis. And at first thought, that sounds kind of horrible, the idea that you could purchase another person. But what he was purchasing them from was essentially death. It was just an awful, awful thing that he was purchasing them from. And he would give them a job to work in his factories and um, they would be able to work there. They would be taken care of. He gave them dignity. And the key to it was him. He had to sacrifice his own money, his own money, to do this. So he entered the war. He entered the war as a wealthy, a wealthy man. And by the end of the war, he was basically financially bankrupt. He was financially bankrupt because he was willing to give all for what he felt like he needed to do. And when the Germans surrendered, Schindler met with all of the workers 
that he had to over a thousand, thousand Jews. And that's where this picture is from, is him there. And he's going to them. And he's, he's letting them know that at midnight they're all free to go, that, that the war is over, the Germans have surrendered, and they're now going to be free. And he's standing before them, and he's standing with his, his friends. And these are two Jews there, that you, kind of prominent there, that are standing with him. And he's having a conversation with them. And he breaks down and begins to weep. And he says, I could have done more. I could have done more. I could have gotten one more. I could have gotten one more Jew. And his friends say, but there are, there are over a thousand Jews that are here because of you. People that are alive because of what it is that you've done. Look, he says, look at them. Look around you. Look at all these people that you've saved. And Schindler says, if I could, if I could have made more money, if I could have done something to make more money, because I threw away so much. I wasted so much money. You have no idea if I had just used that money. And his friends say, but wait, there will be generations because of what you've done. These people and their children because of the sacrifice you made. And Schindler responds. He says, I didn't do enough. I didn't do enough. His friend says, you did, you did so much, though. You did so much. Schindler looks around. He says, this car. The Nazis would have bought this car. Why did I keep this car? That's 10 people right there. 10 people I could have saved. They would have bought this car from me. He reaches into his pocket. He pulls out a pen, a gold pen. He says, this pen, two people, two more people, or at least one more. They would have at least given me one more for this. One more person. One more person. A person for this. I could have gotten one more person, and I didn't. Schindler was a man that was changed. He was a man that was changed. And he was carrying forward a message of freedom. He was consumed by saving lives and giving of himself because things were put in perspective for him. As he saw, the stuff that he had were just possessions. They didn't matter when it compared to saving a life and saving a human being. It's like all of these things didn't matter. He says, I could have done more. Could have done more. He had a new perspective on what was important. So similar to Schindler, we're also carrying forward a message of freedom. And we're called to be a part of that. We're called to be a part of carrying that out. To proclaim the gospel and invite people in to believe in Christ and to receive eternal life. So how do we do this? There are lots of ways for us to do this. Um, and, and we're asking this morning to examine your heart. Examine how you look at your finances. Examine whether or not, if you're part of the, the Trailhead family, if you'd like to join us. This isn't the only way to give, but to consider joining us based on where we're at in the life of our church and how we're looking to continue to carry forward our, miss, our mission. We want to invite you into that because that's where we believe God is leading us. That's where God is leading us to put down roots uh, in this community. So how do we do that? So a few steps here, just suggestions. Um, we've included in your bulletin, there's an insert that, that you should have in your bulletin. And the insert is regarding just thinking and praying about your giving commitment. So if you'd like to join with us, and you can apply this to other things as well. If you feel God is calling you to make a sacrifice, maybe it's for, for missions or some other thing, 
But if, if you're part of Trailhead or if you'd like to join with us um, to process through this, like how can I think about this? How can I pray about where God might lead me to give? To pray with your family and to ask God to reveal um, where your heart's at and where you're at in regards to carrying forward his mission. So I want to encourage you to, to go through that and consider those things. Um, next, go to our website. Go check out our website and uh, get some more information. Pray with us. Pray with us that this is where God is leading us, that he'll open the doors that we need to be opened in order to move forward with this, um, that we'll, we'll be able to, to have the money that we need in order to purchase, to purchase a building as we look to, to trust him for that. Um, also, students, um, I want to invite you guys to, uh, we've gotten, honestly, lots of feedback from your parents that have said they're thankful um, that Trailhead is here. We're thank- they're thankful that you're a part uh, of Trailhead, and that's super exciting for us. We're so glad that that's been the case. Um, so we want to make an opportunity for you if you think your parents would be interested in joining with us. We want to create that opportunity. And so we actually have a sign-up list um, out at Connection Point. Um, if you would like to leave us your parents' name and address, we have a letter that Steve has, has written out and one of the information packets that we'd love to send that to your parents if you think they would at all be, be interested in joining, joining with us. Um, thirdly, sign up for the city. Um, the city is our online communication tool, and so you can do that out in the lobby. There's an iPad out there, and it takes five seconds, and you can get signed up for the city. And that's where we, get most, that's where we send most of our communication is you'll get a, an email um, from the city, and there's some online forums there. Um, and then lastly, there's some key dates that are coming up. Um, the first is November 24th. This is when we're looking at, we call this Commitment Sunday is what we're calling this. And this is when we're asking everyone to turn in and to let us know what, what they'll be pledging for the next three years, what they're able, what they're willing to, to commit to in giving um, for the next three years. And then the second day, December 15th, that's when we're doing, we're calling it First Fruit Sunday. And basically what that means is that's just a, an offering that as we're kicking off this campaign, as we're kicking off moving forward with this, that we come and we bring the first of the things that we have and we, we make our first donation basically for this campaign. And so we want to invite you to do that. Again, all that information is in, is in the packet if you want to pick one of these out. There's some at Connection Point um, if you want to look at that. But again, please hear me this morning that, that I know sometimes it can be uncomfortable talking about money. And, um, but the point here is I want us to look at our hearts. What does it say about... What do we feel like God is speaking to our hearts? It's not just about giving to Trailhead. It's about being on mission with God. It's about being faithful, recognizing what God has given us and being faithful with that and responding in worship. So as we wrap up, I'm going to pray for us, and uh, and then we'll conclude. I just want to ask you this morning, continue to search your heart. Ask God how he might be leading you and where you can, can continue to build his kingdom. Um, where he might be leading you to sacrifice and to give you joy, to give you joy in the midst of that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for my friends. Um, God, and I thank you for your word. God, your word that, that sets us free, God, the message of your gospel that has set us free, that you have given us so much. And may we respond in worship to that. So God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would search our hearts this morning, but recognize that this is an invitation to joy, an invitation to trust, God, that you provide, an invitation to be, um, to take a look at what we might be able to give for the sake of mission based out of what, what we have, not out of what we don't have, not heaping condemnation on ourselves, but refocusing our hearts on, on what's important 
and making sure that our hearts line up, God, with what you're calling us to and the generosity that you've shown to us. Um, help us to do that this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.